This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Happy Friday. Have you been too busy getting ready for the holidays to follow the news? Well, you are in the right place because it's time for the weekly news recap. We are going to take a look at what's been happening in the city and state over the last few days. And later, we're going to reflect on the biggest stories of 2023. The U.S. Supreme Court's decision to hear a case about what constitutes bribery may delay the trial of former Illinois House Speaker Mike Madigan. Blockbuster news from federal court in Chicago. A jury has convicted former Alderman Ed Burke on 13 counts of bribery, extortion, and racketeering. The city's longest-serving alderman, silent as he leaves the courthouse. Burke's conviction four days before Christmas comes a little more than a week before his 80th birthday. That is a lot, and there is way more. So here to help us make sense of it is WTTW political correspondent Amanda Vinicky. Congratulations. Thank you. Welcome my, to the yes. club. You are now a proud mama to baby Alice. Yes, she's the cutest and greatest, and I miss her every minute I'm away. And so, but glad you. to be back here on Reset. We course. have missed you. Good I don't think back. she's listening. I think she's napping. No, <laughs> I hope she's not. <laughs> also with us in studio, David Greising, president of the Better Government Association. Hey, David. Hello, Sasha. And John Seidel is here. He's a federal courts reporter for the Chicago Sun Times. Welcome back, John. Hey, thanks for having me. I'll start with you. Put you in the hot seat immediately sure. because guilty on all but one of 14 corruption charges. That was the verdict yesterday. This is in the trial, of course, of Chicago's longest serving lawmaker, former Alderman Ed Burke. So you have been spending a lot of time in the courtroom, John. We are so grateful that you're able to join us today. And, and, and I'm curious, right off the bat, how everyone reacted in the courtroom to that verdict. You know, it wasn't really that much of a surprise. I mean, don't get me wrong, Burke's defense team fought tooth and nail against this, but there were just so many paths to guilty for this jury. Um, and Ed Burke, he's a smart guy. He had to know what was coming. Um, so, I mean, I think everybody just kind of, you know, quietly took it in. I, I, I had my eyes on Burke, you know. Right, right before his verdict was read, Judge Kendall did this kind of unexpectedly she she read the verdict for his co-defendants first okay you know, developed developer charles quay was convicted but a longtime political aide of burke's peter andrews was acquitted and so we heard all of those not guilty verdicts which is rare mm -hmm. just before um judge kendall turned to burke's verdict and he kind of so for that split second where you're like oh i wonder could it be <laughs> maybe a little bit maybe a little bit is, you know, is it a sweep of not guilties that we're going to hear Perhaps. <laughs> I don't ever want to make assumptions, but the feds have the track record that they do. Yeah. So when it came time for, for Burke's verdict to be read, he kind of, I saw him kind of like give a smile toward Judge Kendall because he knew it, it was his time. And then mm -hmm. he, he listened and that first guilty came down on the racketeering count. And he just kind of, he propped his arms up, he put his chin on his hands and just listened as, mm. you know, as she ticked off, not just the, the guilties, but the various racketeering acts that the jury found that he committed. Yeah. Um, it took about six minutes just to get through Burke's verdict. Wow. Um, so we all just- That's a painful six minutes, yeah. I imagine. Yeah. No matter what reaction you do or don't show. You, you wrote about his wife's reaction too? Yeah, so, um, so after the verdict was read, the judge's deputy pulled the jurors and then they were filing out of the courtroom. And as as they were leaving, I saw uh, Burke's wife, who's the retired Illinois Supreme Court Chief Justice, uh, Ann Burke. Um, she, we were all standing, but she walked over to Burke and, and kind of gave him a hug and kiss and, you know, just was kind of there for, it was a very human moment. And mm -hmm. and the thing, you know, like whatever you think about the case, whatever you think about defendants or, or individuals who are accused of the crimes, I mean, they're, they're human beings, mm -hmm. they're family members involved. Uh, Burke, I believe, had his children in the courtroom with him. Yeah, um, there are other people to, to consider. Yeah, and they're going to have to live with this just like he will. 
How long of a sentence is he facing? A lot of time. I, you know, I think if you add up all of the maximums on each count, it gets to some crazy number. I believe the racketeering count is a, a max 20. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, the judge is going to have to think about all sorts of variables and look at the federal sentencing guidelines. Uh, one thing that has, I've kind of pointed out in the past is that um, I, there was another corruption trial in front of Judge Kendall back in 2016 that I covered. Mm-hmm. involved a guy named John Bills and uh, the city of Chicago's red light program. Um, he was convicted. He got 10 years, which was a pretty stiff sentence from this same judge that Burke now faces sentencing in front of. Yeah. And he, John Bills, did not have the clout or the power that Ed Burke did. And I think that's going to be a factor. With his 80th birthday coming, a 10-year sentence is tantamount potentially to to a life sentence. Um, Particularly in prison versus outside of it. Right. Right. Does that factor into the sentence? It can't formally factor in. You mean his age? His age, yes. Well, I think it could almost surely will come up in uh, when it comes time for the sentencing hearing. I, I have heard the argument, though, from other judges in similar situations that um, you know, your age didn't stop you from committing this crime. Right. This is all stuff that happened. I think the earliest allegations were 2016, so seven years ago. If I, you know, some yeah. quick. Um, so he was in his early 70s when he committed these crimes. So I think that would be the counter argument. Mm-hmm. Were you surprised at all, Amanda, that the jury found? him guilty on 13 of 14 charges? Perhaps that there was one missing. Again, I I did not cover the trial, so I'm not clear on that, but it is John attested, you have such a track record built Mm -hmm. up by prosecutors and this sort of thing that they're not apt to bring charges unless they believe it to be a pretty sure bet. And I think you have to also factor in, while there are explicit jury instructions in terms of this is the charge, this is what you need to find, uh, that is meticulous, there's also just a public frustration, I think, with politics and government that you you cannot take out of the equation when you have a jury debating behind closed doors, Mm -hmm. uh, just sort of a disgust with what people in power can do. So beyond the actual charges, uh, when when you find that, that to me was perhaps more of the surprise that there was one when you, when you have 14, what's another? So, and, and to that, to that end, I mean, I was actually just before we came in here, going back over the jury instructions, I think this jury did follow the instructions. The, the count that Burke was acquitted on was a conspiracy charge. Conspiracy involves more than one person. The person he was alleged to have conspired with was Peter Andrews, the aide who was acquitted. Mm -hmm. And so if Peter Andrews was not participating in the conspiracy, Burke wasn't, is what I think probably the logic was there. And you mentioned Peter Andrews there being acquitted, but developer Charles Quay was found guilty. He was found guilty. What kind of sentence is he facing? Um, I think probably a, let's see. Max ten or fifteen. I'd have, you know, I, I apologize. I'd have to double check on his. He was he was um, convicted, I believe, of bribery, and there was a lying to the FBI charge. Yeah. Uh, you know, he doesn't have um, a, a criminal history that I'm aware of, so I, I'm not sure that he's going to face that much prison time. But you know, he's he's probably will yeah. face some significant enough. I mean, yeah. the, the difference between him and between those who were on the stand to give testimony, but you know, we're, we're not actually facing any charges, is that he did hire Burke's property tax law firm as versus, for example, the owners of Burger King, the developers yeah. of the old post office. Yeah. They did not. Yeah. And there was a really explicit email from Charles Quay in which he pretty much laid out that he was hiring Ed Burke's law firm because he needed Burke's help at City Hall. 
and, and you know, was... And, you and know, you think would, about something like that, what, what would the alternative have been? If you, if you need it, to, to report it to the feds, to report it to who? The inspector general? What would have come of that? You, you know, you, you think about so much that goes into this trial and why? Because I think to an extent you're like, all right, it's a Burger King. Yeah. Or, mm. it's, it's a sign. Literally a sign is what some of this was over. A sign in going to prison. Uh, over a sign. And yet what you have to do in terms of getting help and approval from your local alder person or heads of these city council committees and the power that they do have and why this all matters. And some of these, uh, there have been ethics reforms that take away the alder person's universal Mm -hmm. control over permitting, driveway permits like in the Burger King case. But what we saw, Danny Solis, who is head of the zoning committee, alder people still have privilege over zoning decisions made in their ward. They still get an up or down say whether a zoning application goes through or does not go through. So that temptation to corruption still exists. There still has not been a reform of that. And that's probably the most powerful uh, uh, aldermanic prerogative that ever existed and perhaps why they're digging in and unwilling to give up that control. Well, John, I think we say this every time that that one of these guilty verdicts comes in, but do you think that this time, it might actually change how politics is done in Illinois, or is it just going to continue to be business as usual? You know, we don't know what's not happening because of these cases, right? You know, and I, I've spent some time with uh, one of our colleagues, Dave, Dave McKinney, kind of exploring what is the point of all these trials? What are we accomplishing here? Do I think the Chicago way is going to go away or the corruption is going to go away? No, I don't. I, <laughs> I think we've got a very, uh, a U.S. Attorney's Office that's very good at prosecuting this stuff. Um, but the you know the one we just don't know who's looking at this and realizing that even someone like Ed Burke can go down. Um, maybe yeah. I should think twice. <laughs> you think this has an impact on Chicago's reputation? I, I, I can tell you this. Yesterday, I uh, got a text from my my sister in Canada who does not at all follow Chicago politics, and she texts me and she says, "Ed Burke found guilty." <laughs> <laughs> and then she said, "I mean, whoever he is." The fact that that she knew that. Yeah, if if word is spread to Canada, uh, that's good to know that our reputation for corruption. But nevertheless, he was convicted, and so maybe that does help a little bit. Um, The thing is that what would really help is is more sweeping ethics reforms, including the inspector general. You asked Amanda, should it go to the inspector general? Um, Well, the inspector general can investigate, can do a lot, but still must get permission to release their findings. And so there are all kinds of things that are built into the system here that could still help address these underlying problems of corruption. We're always going to have people, sadly, who are tempted to be corrupt. The question is, when it runs to their mind, will I get caught? Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to raise the yes answer to that. And and so things like giving the inspector general more power would help address some of these uh, some of these temptations. And giving pathways to somebody to report it, to do something about it, to head it off. If you are somebody who perhaps isn't inclined to want to participate, to, to have something that you can do about it, I, I think yeah. is part of it. By the way, you can also, you know, come to reporters and share with us. Yeah, so that's, that's, right. that's, that's an right. option. The that's to listen to the weekly yeah. news recap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where we there. share it with you. Uh-huh. Let's turn to another political corruption case, John, sure. while I have you here. Uh, the judge has delayed sentencing what was often referred to as the ComEd 4 mm-hmm. defendant. So just quickly remind us of that case and 
tell us how this sentencing delay came about. So the case uh, involved four people who um, were convicted of bribing former House Speaker Michael Madigan over nearly a decade. Uh, one of them was his longtime confidant, confidant Michael McLean, who's actually charged separately with Madigan in Madigan's criminal case. There's also the former ComEd CEO, Ann Promajore, uh, John Hooker, and Jay Doherty were the other defendants. Uh, they were set to go to um, sentencing in January. Uh, and they asked that that be put, asked that it be delayed. Mm -hmm. Judge Weber recently said no, but now we have a little issue that came up with the Supreme Court. And uh, happy to walk you through the background on it, but it involves the conviction of the corruption conviction of a mayor of Portage, Indiana. Okay. And the question for the that case was picked up by the Supreme Court just, I believe, last week. And it involves uh, a question revolving around a law that is key to that ComEd case. It's also key to the Madigan case as well. And there has been a long running dispute between the defense bar and the government on how to apply this statute. And all of a sudden, the Supreme Court's going to be coming down with a decision in a matter of months about how to interpret that statute. Um, the ComEd defendants asked to put the sentencings on hold while we wait to see what the Supreme oh. Court says. Now, here's the- Does here's it little, seem appropriate, the, the I, I mean, I think it's a, to I, delay? I, well, I think it's a reasonable request, but here's the little, little quirk here, is that um, the judge actually didn't agree to put everything on hold. An emergency judge came in, said he's not gonna put everything on hold, but there are scheduling issues all of a sudden, and they need to reschedule the sentencing. So mm -hmm. the sentencing is going to be rescheduled. We don't know if they're going to wait until after the Supreme Court. In fact, it seems likely not. But the Supreme Court issue is is percolating. A lot of uh, corruption defendants are asking that things be put on hold. Madigan has asked that things be put on hold. That's right. Uh, I think the Supreme Court decision is is a lot of people in Chicago are going to be watching it. Yeah, is that all making sense to you, folks, uh, David? Well, I mean, do you see the connection to these? trials and the Portage, Indiana case. Yeah, and, and it also just bespeaks kind of this corrupt uh, uh, circumstance in Chicago. What is the issue? It's like bribery or gratuities is what the yes. Supreme Court is. is. A, What's the difference between a bribe and a tip? I didn't know that it, government employees legally can accept tips for their... Uh, well, I think that's uh, the point that they can't. You know, <laughs> I guess the, the bribe is before the action, the gratuity is after the action or as, as a reward. But also the, one of the real points of contention has been whether or not Prosecutors have to prove a quid pro quo, like we all understand it, uh, when when proving when convicting somebody for this statute. The government here, the federal prosecutors in Chicago who are winning all these cases, say no, we don't have to do that. The defense bar says yes, you do, but the defense they keep losing that argument in the district court. Now all of a sudden this is going up to the Supreme Court, which may weigh in on that issue. So an example of that, perhaps, John, because I, I do think it, it to me is a bit confusing where quid pro quo as you understand it. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like if you're getting something, whether it's before or after, that that's sort of the deal, right? Mm -hmm. that, 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 that's, that, that may not be explicitly what happened, but that's what happened. And if you're smart enough to not say it directly, that doesn't mean that it's still not wrong or illegal just because there isn't an email saying this is exactly what we're going to do doesn't mean the conversation wasn't had right um but maybe something like looking back to the blagojevich case would, would there be something where you look at he talked about a senate appointment that was effing golden but never made the appointment right right oh yeah boy you know i there's so much yeah. that yeah. i think you can look at in terms of what is a quid pro quo yeah. in terms of 
when the actual exchange happens. If the feds come in before the money changes hands or what, what there, there's a lot that right. could be built up into this case, a whole lot of what ifs in every criminal trial. And but if, that's what seems to come to mind here, and, that you're almost parsing the same thing. I don't I don't care whether you call it a gratuity or a bribe. It's the same well, thing. Well, what we deal with every day, if we go to a restaurant or something, or even fast food these days where they turn around that thing and ask you to tip them, it is part of the transaction, whether you pay for it's for the food you get or the service you get. Nevertheless, it is part of the When, the when I get food delivered to right. me via DoorDash, right. I tip before the, the food comes. Well, That's there true. you are. That's, That's a true. gratuity. Yeah. So I'm not sure what the Supreme Court has hung up I know about. that well, it's a little different, John. Yeah, yeah, no, you're you're the and I'm trying, and I'm, boy, right, I'm trying not to get John, to, to I'm, drill I'm down too far. Okay. But did you want to clear this up for us? Oh, sure. I mean, what I, was, what I was just about to say, I mean, I, I think it's the quid pro quo, like the understanding that there is an exchange here versus, um, you know, the, the bribe givers or the gratuity givers, if you want, um, you know, <laughs> just, just what's going on in their mind. Did they know that they were doing something for the wrong reasons? I, I think those are kind of like the distinctions that are at play here. And, and it really just, comes oh, to a, a head. Christmas gift. Right. And yeah. so, so, but it really Thanks. comes to head in the ComEd case. But we've seen this law. And like all of the corruption cases, Ed Burke was convicted under this, uh, the, under the statute yesterday. Mm -hmm. But there, there was evidence of a quid pro quo in that case. So I don't think it's as I don't think we're going to run into an issue with it, with Burke. Amanda, the city's migrant crisis uh, experienced another alarming first this week. I'm talking about the fact that Texas Governor Greg Abbott began flying migrants to Chicago. What do we know? Yeah, I mean, flying migrants on a chartered plane. So this is something that I think typically you would say is for, you know, movie stars. You think Kardashians uh, <laughs> would maybe pay a quick visit Who are in not out. movie stars. Right? No, they are definitely not. Uh, just Let's rich. make that clear. They're rich is what they are. Uh, and the, But they have the means and capability to charter a flight and bop into Chicago. Not for migrants. We are told that there were 91 individuals sent here, those who were on the plane uh, to sort of, I, I don't know, serve as escorts, helpers, what have you, got into an Uber before police had the opportunity to question them. Again, I'm not clear on how that went down, how they were able to so quickly get out of there before yeah. police. Uh, unclear to me, but uh, they, it seems very clear, and it doesn't just seem, it, we are told by the Abbott administration that that's very much the intent is to kind of say, hey, Chicago, we'll show you. This comes after Chicago has put in place measures to try and crack down on these charter buses mm -hmm. to really, it seems, uh, get a better handle on them when yeah. migrants are coming, where they should be sent so that they can be processed instead of being dropped off all over the city. Instead, the Abbott administration is explicit that its intent is really to sow chaos because it says, hey, Chicago, if you are going to be a quote unquote welcoming city, mm -hmm. Welcome with open arms without restriction. If you're going to block buses, well, here they are on airplanes. And airplanes and, 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 and also it's the suburbs. We're seeing, I, I think, more of that as well. You're seeing buses, try the Abbott administration try and get around these restrictions in every which way. So we're talking about 120 migrants on board this flight. They're now joining hundreds of people who are already sleeping at O'Hare. I mean, does this signal to you that the city is just going to keep 
letting people live at the airport? Well, and all right, just real briefly here, I think we've got some conflicting numbers. It was 120, then 91. Point yes. being, we're going to see presumably more of these chartered flights regardless. And uh, we, we don't have great answers right now. They are staying at O'Hare. I, I think to an extent, this is a sign of dismantling the process that the city and state are trying to set up by having folks be processed right away at a central location for during regular business yeah. hours. Uh, and then also the fact that while you don't have these tent cities that were going to be set up functioning, that while there are now additional indoor shelters and you have for example um the archdiocese doing some of that that as we'll talk about i'm sure soon in terms of uh, other questions with overcrowding at these indoor shelters that you you had people out of police stations but now that we're seeing it seems another wave it is not all well and good you Mm. continue to have the question where to house these individuals what to do with them yeah, well, as you know, Amanda, Mayor Johnson was interviewed about this on WTTW. Let's listen to a bit of that. The governor of Texas is determined to create chaos throughout the entire country. Um, and this is after the city of city council um, passed an ordinance that I put forward to provide more structure, um, to provide more calm and some more coordination um, with how buses are arriving in the city of Chicago. And quite frankly, what's actually quite disturbing is that uh, many of the individuals who are coming from the, the border, um, there's no coordination at the border either. So many of the individuals are not being treated. They're not being uh, processed. They're not um, you know, getting medical attention. So by the time they arrive in the city of Chicago, um, they're coming in quite severe conditions. So, David, uh, Amanda pointed some of this out a, a moment ago, but to me, this feels like a no-win situation for the mayor, right? Because he's trying to make sure that the buses uh, are notifying the city before dropping migrants off. And then the Texas governor is working around him by flying them here. So I'm curious from you, does he have, does Johnson have the right to set up these restrictions and, you know, finding bus companies and impounding buses? And then in the longer term, I mean, how might these flights between these fights between the Democratic mayors and Republican governors play out? during a presidential election year? Well, you, that's a great question because we, of course, have the Democratic National Convention coming this summer. Yes. And, um, there's no doubt. Right here. You're right. There's no doubt that uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott is going to probably flood the city mm-hmm. uh, in the weeks leading up to the, con- the convention. So it, it's good policy and also humane for uh, Mayor Johnson to set up and and onboarding process by which people are their their health is checked and we have some uh some measure of um not control but but process by which they are they're taking and shown somewhere safe to live the question is as amanda points out the catholic archdiocese has stepped up mainly because the the mayor's efforts to place these people in tented encampments have struck out uh, most notably yeah, the brighton park out place where he was ready to move forward despite the fact that this was a place that had mercury and lead and um, uh, arsenic left over from back when this site was a, a smelter. And ultimately it fell to Governor Pritzker to say, hey, listen, this report that the city commissioned this is this is a health catastrophe waiting to happen. We cannot possibly move forward here. And so the difficulty is, where do we find safe places? We've been fortunate that the weather has been relatively mild. We're not in the middle of a cold 
snowy December yet, Mm -hmm. but winter is coming and um, the city is not yet, despite the fact that some of these new new sites have been identified, the city is not yet able to process these uh, these folks who are arriving, as we saw, sadly, in the death of this five-year-old, uh, Jean-Carlo. Yeah, he says, uh, we we heard the mayor say, you know, some migrants are showing up here ill. And, of course, that came into to question with the five-year-old boy and several others, really, who are, are staying at this uh, Pilsen migrant shelter uh, and were also hospitalized. I mean, it, is the mayor going to continue then, you think, to come under scrutiny for the conditions that migrants are living in, Amanda? Yeah, I, I think is he will. I, I think that both things can be true. Um, all of it can be. It is respiratory illness season. I believe the Illinois Department of Public Health is giving warnings, get vaccinations, practice safe hygiene because it is the sneezing. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, and it is, regardless of if you are in impeccable health and haven't been on a bus for days and crossing borders and lacking a steady diet of meals and a proper sleep and all of those things. So you can have that. You can also have overcrowding in close proximity to folks who are already under the weather and then that elevates any of the spread of these diseases. You can have also questions, as there are right now, about the company that was contracted to do this sort of work and whether they handled an emergency situation appropriately. Uh, You can have a mayor and a governor in a very difficult situation because nobody plans or expects for you know, tens of thousands of individuals to suddenly be brought here who uh, likely don't speak a language, who don't have jobs, who may not know where to go, who haven't been processed, who Mm -hmm. just arrive overnight and still have fault administrations for a lack of planning, considering that while there wasn't necessarily any expectation of when, how many, certainly likely nobody thought, oh, there's going to be privately chartered planes. Right. it's not a surprise. I mean, this has been since August of 2022 right. that migrants have been arriving. So I, to, to me, anybody who ran for mayor should have had a policy. I think that you can, uh, again, have the Johnson administration say we were handed not a great situation from his predecessor. Uh, Lightfoot may push back on that. But regardless, well, those both can well, be true. Yeah. And welcome to being the mayor of the city of right, Chicago. Right. They, they don't that, say here are, the, here are the problems you're going to have to deal with. Things come out of the blue. And, and this Absolutely. is. But this, this, didn't, this, is, this didn't come right. out of the blue. And, and, <laughs> and the point. mayor's effort to deflect this by saying this was sort of not expected. It, we, were, had, we were knee deep he, in this when, yes, when he absolutely. became mayor. And, and the dollars that we're talking about here, besides just the lives, as Amanda did a very nice job of pointing out what it must be like, well, how horrible it must be when people arrive here. They're, it's not like they're on vacation, okay? They've been through a really, really tough uh, period in order to get here. This company, Favorite Healthcare uh, Staffing, has a $100 million contract with the city of Chicago to take care of the health of the people who are in this horrible situation. Some 26,000 people who have arrived here since last August, uh, more than a year ago, a year ago, yeah. August, not just this most recent one. And and to, to hear that that not only that this young, young person, John Carlos Martinez Rivera, a five-year-old who sadly died due to was out with his mother, came back, was yeah. struck ill, 100 degree plus temperature, bleeding, it's reported from his nose, et cetera. Um, but, but there are 
dozens or of people among the 2,300 or so who are at that one facility at Sir Mac and Halstead and many more throughout the city who are ill. And this company apparently is ill-equipped, despite its very rich contract with the city, ill-equipped to handle and protect the health of some of these people. Yeah. I mean, John, you're, you're listening to all this. The, the city says their preliminary investigation shows no evidence of infectious disease at that shelter. But just thinking bigger picture here, how damaging is this for the mayor to have headlines of a child dying? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 terrible news and, and, and definitely damaging for the mayor. And, and I, I look, the thing of it is, like, unfortunately, we saw stuff like this coming and it's probably going to keep coming. And just as as uh, Amanda and David said, I mean, the, the mayor's got a maybe he saw this coming. Maybe he didn't. Uh, mayors, presidents, governors, they all have to deal with issues that they didn't see coming. I think uh, Mayor Johnson needs to to figure this out, both for humanity reasons, for political reasons with the DNC. I mean, this is this is not going away. This yeah. has got to be resolved before, you know, things get worse. So Columbia College's part-time workers and adjunct faculty are hopefully going to have a cheerful holiday now that their six-week record-long strike is over. Yesterday on Reset, we talked with sophomore student Zoe Falcon, and here she is explaining why she supported the faculty strike. I need to be supportive of the, the people that, I mean, that, that are teaching me, my mentors and, and that, but also, like, I will be out in a union in a couple of years, mm -hmm. hopefully, so if I don't support the union now, what will it look like to the people when I'm actually needing this professionally. Yeah, she's a film student, right? And so, David, catch us up. What details do we have about the agreement that was reached? Well, the the um, dispute was with regard to security for the um, uh, uh, adjunct faculty, which is a, a significant part of the faculty uh, that the um, uh, union was seeking a job security because it, sort of un, unexpectedly, uh, 50 class sections were wiped out uh, for the fall semester, and then 317 class sections were wiped out for the spring semester. So they got, uh, as a result of this strike, they did get uh, uh, commitments with regard to job security. It really was not about pay, and this falls in line with We've seen a number of faculties over the last number of months. In fact, uh, Mayor Johnson notably showed up at a, um, uh, um, which was it? It was um, uh, Ooh, I covered uh, that Illinois. too. Yeah, um, showed up. We're at all a, like, uh, 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 yeah, I was I, out there. I, I was there. I was going to say Georgia State, but obviously um, uh, not Georgia State. But but in any event, uh, th this is part of a trend among college faculties across the northern Illinois who are saying th these deals that we have, you know, obviously tenure is sort of a relic of pa the past, but we want to at least know that we're going to continue to have jobs and we're going to be fairly paid, fairly compensated. And, and um, this uh, Columbia College faculty got that as a result of this very long, bitter strike. Very long. I mean, both Zoe and the union president who was on the program as well, they told me how relieved they were that the, the strike has ended. Uh, Zoe says that the students, uh, they were told they needed to attend class with their replacement teachers or they wouldn't receive credit. So very difficult situation to, to, to be in. Uh, let's turn to not a strike, but a rally. 
Amanda. This one was held outside Tribune Tower last Saturday. What happened? Well, so this is an ongoing issue as you have some of our colleagues who work for the Chicago Tribune as well as its suburban outlets formed a union and since that time, from my understanding, haven't really had a, a contract. And this is after the Tribune owned by, um, according to the reporting of my colleague, Nick Blumberg, uh, got pushback from Alden, uh, the, the owners of the Tribune, uh, by referencing them as a hedge fund. No, 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 no. They're just investors. So, right, right. Let's make sure and get that right. No comment on what is going on with its employees. And this was really, I, I think, uh, what we're seeing come to pass is a lot of the fears that folks had when Alden took control of the Tribune, that it would be a massive disinvestment in journalists and in this truly uh, a civic treasure for Chicago. And we're seeing that manifest through Alden not being willing to cooperate. Folks talking about despite the inflation that has occurred these past couple of years, even mm-hmm. though waning out, we can talk about the economy perhaps later, but point being, uh, you're having journalists as and others who help make the Tribune happen, not seeing any additional money or compensation to pay for that. Yeah, the union saying that the company's most recent proposal contains one-time bonuses, but no raises, and would eliminate the longstanding 401k match. Which is huge. A bonus is if, is just that. It's a one-time deal that's not built into your retirement that's already being severely handicapped. And I mean, I, I think that there needs to be a continued focus on what is going on with this, as you also have Alden now in control of the uh, property that is a Greyhound station and what that means as it is looking to sell it off. And when you have a whole lot of people who depend on taking the particularly low-income and disabled individuals that depend on taking the bus for their travel needs. Yeah. Um, Alden has a whole lot of control, period. And You the, worked the at the there, Tribune for a decade, I did, David, indeed. so I want to hear from you. Yeah, the staffing there is down by 50% in among the, the Newspaper Guild uh, uh, union represented staff since Alden took control. Uh, we as readers of the, of the Chicago Tribune, it's amazing what they are doing with the limited resources that they have, but it is a much diminished newspaper despite all of the heroic efforts that the journalists there are doing to keep things going. Alden is just is, is strip mining this company. They are, uh, they're all about uh, the financial return and they could care less about the journalism. They just happen to be one of their investment assets mm-hmm. uh, is a newspaper, and they're just trying to do this as economically as they can while still maintaining uh, some sort of readership so they can get a financial return. Uh, for, unfortunately for them, they are operating in a very competitive uh, news market, not only competing against the good people of WBZ and Chicago Sun-Times that merged due to financial pressures at that at the Sun-Times, right. uh, and, and also uh, burgeoning uh, nonprofit news organizations like Block Club Chicago and even, I might say, uh, Illinois Answers Project, exactly. the, our news yeah. publication. There's WTTW, a really strong... WTTW, I mean, we're uh, all... I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, WTTW is like serious yes, in, in, yes. in news uh, these days in ways that, that previously they were less yeah. committed to. So uh, Alden's model is perhaps not working so well for them, which may explain why they're being 
so hardcore and unwilling to reach an agreement. It can be a really vicious cycle, I think, right. too, is they're looking to, you know, squeeze it. I, I think of it like literally they're trying to squeeze every all the money that they can, like uh, like an orange when you're trying to make a fresh-squeezed mimosa. Bring it all out. <laughs> uh, right. But it, at the same time, it, then you have folks that are upset about the, the product and not getting what they used to and then disinvest it, and it becomes a really vicious cycle. Yeah. Well, I'm going to use some language from Amanda earlier. Tis the sneezing, <laughs> because as we head into the holidays, public health officials, they're urging people to take precautions because half the counties in Illinois, they're now at elevated risk of COVID. How are you all feeling about COVID risk right now? Any of your plans impacted, John? Well, we just saw, God, I lost count of five or six attorneys in the Burke trial That's get right. COVID. I, you know, I mean, they every other they, day there was an interruption. Yeah, they had to, to put it all in pot. And I mean, I, I well, have a young Quay daughter. Wasn't, like Quay a, wasn't there, right, for the sentencing? Quay because, got, Quay got because, for the, at the verdict. Yeah, yeah Quay so he got wasn't even there. The right. Wow. Um, and yeah, I know. I know that from your report, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> John Seidel, yeah, Chicago Sun-Times. Stuff is going <laughs> going around, including COVID. Yeah, it's it uh, seems to be up. It's yeah. less it's less serious than it had been. Sure. I mean, when people get COVID now, we've had a couple of, of colleagues at, at the BGA get COVID recently and they miss a few days and then they're back. It's, they're back. it's not like, hey, will they live anymore? But nevertheless, it's a very serious infectious disease and people do continue I think it's scary because you still don't know yeah. who to whom it can be a very right, serious right, disease, who right. it might hit. Uh, particularly, I did some reporting. There was a visit from the director of the Centers for Disease Control trying to encourage folks because there's sort of this transition between we had gotten used to maybe these pop-up clinics and getting your COVID vaccine very easily, whereas now it's going back to the traditional route. Go yeah. see your doctor or perhaps go to a pharmacy. Uh, and so I, I think there there is sort of this change, and yet with that, there isn't the same sense of urgency. For some people, there still there still is. There's still very much that fear. And do we need to be concerned? It's all sort of nobody knows um, how to handle these sort of things other than the recommendations are to wash your hands. If you're sick, stay home. Wear a mask, the same old things. Um, and it is wonderful that we're not seeing these high rates in hospitals and rates of death. And Paxlovid, I think, does certainly yeah. help that. Well, let's squeeze in one more story before we take a, a break here. Father Michael Flager of St. Sabina Catholic Church in Auburn-Gresham, he's saying that he's planning to bless a same-sex couple early next year. Of course, we know this is coming after Pope Francis approved those blessings for same-sex couples. I mean, any surprises, David, that... Uh, Father Flager is moving quickly? It, it's hardly a surprise. We actually already have seen nationally at least one um, same-sex marriage get blessed. The, the Catholic Church under Pope Francis and, and here in Chicago under uh, Cardinal uh, Supic is are saying, hey, these blessings cannot be anything like a marriage ceremony. They, they, they sh the vestments should not be anything like that. Ideally, uh, it's it's in something, uh, some sort of informal uh, circumstance. They're saying that the liturgy, uh, they're not saying that the, their reading of the Bible at least says that, that same-sex marriages are, are okay. This happens against the context of Pope Francis really fighting back against the conservatives especially in the American Catholic Church. Yeah. Uh, he kicked uh, uh, an American uh, bit, um, archbishop out of uh, quarters in the Vatican, uh, saying this this is one of the person who's been a kind of a burr under his saddle for a long time. Uh, archbishop Burke is no longer uh, housed. He's, he's, he's got to go back to, I guess he lives up in Canada now. Um, 
but er, I'm sorry, Wisconsin, <laughs> not, not Canada, Wisconsin now. Um, uh, I was like, so, wait a no, minute. Not, not Canada, Wisconsin. So, <laughs> no, he uh, is not throwing uh, shade. But, but uh, this is also Father Flager, who, of course, is one of the more liberal uh, uh, um, uh, priests in, in this area, not to mention the nation. And so it's not surprising to see him step up and say, looking forward to blessing uh, yeah. w- one of the um, same-sex couples in his uh, yeah, recent members of his church. All right, friends, this is our home stretch and also our last weekly news recap of 2023. Give yourselves a round Woo-hoo! of applause. Hey. Uh, I want to look back at some of the biggest stories of the year while I have you with us. So I thought I'd ask each of you what headlines across the city or state this year stood out for you or surprised you or you know spoke to a larger trend that we've been noticing. Want to go first, David? I think the uh, retention of the assault weapons ban, the Supreme Court backing the Illinois assault weapons ban, mm-hmm. uh, which happened after the, that horrible shooting July 4th in Highland <laughs> Park of 2022, and the fact that um, despite this very conservative Supreme Court, which is gunning for all kinds of uh, protecting gun rights in many respects, the fact that this uh, Illinois assault weapons ban still is in effect is, is an important story to continue to monitor. Amanda? I mean, I have, I have so many, so I'm just going to kind of quickly Give go us through the quick a couple version. of, I mean, let's remember that we have uh, construction on the Kennedy. Who can forget that? <laughs> that caused such havoc to my life um, that the no cash bail law went into effect in 2023. That, was this that year? is this year mm-hmm. in September. That is a huge, huge, huge change and really dismantling of the judicial process as we had known it. Um, I think also that. We had wildfire smoke Um, and just what that says about the environment and going forward sort of climate change and how that could manifest in the Chicago region from Canada. I'll say it. I'll be the one. I mean, it's absolutely wild from Canada. But let's and then um, (laughs) I will talk about the the, the Chicago casino opening. This is something that had been talked about for so long. Yeah. And and finally, Kaching is here. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. What are you thinking, John? Uh, well, David took one of mine. Uh, the, the the assault weapons ban has definitely been something that we've been watching uh, all year. Yeah, the year. casino was on mine too. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously a landmark year in the 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 federal courthouse in the in the city with all of these trials and just generally the court catching up after COVID. That's one of the reasons that we've seen so many go forward. You know, another notable event this year. Um, the departure of uh, U.S. Attorney John Lausch, who was in office while yeah. a lot of these these cases were charged, I you know I think we're transitioning into a new period there, and uh, we've got the nomination of uh, April Perry, who, if she can get confirmed, would be the first uh, mm-hmm. uh, female U.S. Attorney in Chicago. Yeah. Anyone else have a, a local or statewide story that really stood out? Let me look at my list here. Uh, what about Brandon Johnson getting elected as there mayor? Why are you lighting my mind? And Lori Lightfoot uh, not being reelected. Yeah, like him, him winning that Democratic right. primary and then um, the election against Paul Vallis right after that whole process. I, I'm just remembering all the mayoral debates. And Paul Vallis, who was accused of being a Republican and Democrat closing, then going to uh, work as 
on a consulting basis for the Illinois Policy Institute, possibly the most conservative organization in our state, (laughs) was a quite interesting and underreported. Yeah, that's a choice. How Um, about news of a NASCAR street race coming to Chicago? I mean, wasn't that wild? (laughs) It was was rainy is what it was. Um, It it, it was, but coming back. But I mean, when we first heard it was coming, I mean, were you not like here? Yeah, yeah. It was it was kind of interesting to watch. I caught a couple of laps. Yeah. I, you know, um, I, and we'll see how it goes. Hopefully, perhaps in better weather. I do think people thought, oh, Chicago's beautiful. It looked good. I mean, I, I think other things that we can talk about, Northwestern, um, and what could be happening in terms of changes for Evanston, mm-hmm. as well as the hazing scandal. Um, let's not forget sort of the also the horrific ways in which what's happening in the Middle East has impacted us locally with the murder of a six-year-old, or at least the, the, the killing of a six-year-old, allegedly, uh, a murder. Um, yeah. uh, that's, that's journalism speak, because it, it clearly it was. You don't call it a murder until there has been a conviction, right. which there right. isn't yet. But um, regardless, horrific, as mm-hmm. well as um, hostages that were individuals who hail from the suburbs, um, and I think a, a lot of local sentiment as well in terms yeah. of what's going on there. Anybody looking ahead yet? I, I normally ask you what you've got going on next week, but like, what, what's going to be grabbing our attention, do you think, in 2024? Well, the convention, we mentioned it in passing, but the convention is just going to be a huge story, and a, yeah. of course, that was a big Chicago's deal that history we were with conventions that. is always quite interesting, and this year in particular with this <laughs> migrant situation, uh, just to watch how other politicians around the country try to take advantage of uh, Chicago uh, with its record recently on crime, as well as the migrant issue. Uh, that's all going to coalesce, I think, in the city this summer. And John's going to be busy again, presumably. Presumably, More yes. trials if, if the, in 2024. The, the trial, trial for me. The trial. Yeah, yeah. the trial. You the know, trial. I mean, Michael Madigan is one of the ones who's asking for everything to be put on hold with that Supreme Court case, but... Um, you know, it could still, it's set for April, it could still happen in the fall, but we're watching for, for Madigan. The other thing, real quick, I mentioned April Perry. One thing that I'm, I kind of have wondered about in 2024 is mm-hmm. whether or not presidential politics will sink that nomination, given, you know, however the year winds up play, playing yeah. out and, and the closer we get to the election, whether or not uh, a Biden nominee will be confirmed or... Yes, that is a good question. Well, leave us with one good news story, Amanda. That okay. stuck out to you this so year. So I feel like I, I was really thinking about this, and I had a hard time. Well, you've had a long list. That's why I, that's why I pointed I to you. I had a hard time finding homework. one. She really but did I did her do homework. my homework, yeah. and I thought about, you know, it's like personal There's got to be something good on there. It must be well, up late awesome. with the baby. Up late with the baby, writing well, down the best great, stories of the year. Yeah. I think also Chicago <laughs> getting a move on with composting. And that, that is huge, and that really mm-hmm. could lead to a big change. And then also, it's, these are maybe not huge stories, but um, the Betty Boop. Chicago has a lot of show of musicals and sort of things before they hit Broadway. And the lead is a native Chicagoan who is, from all indications, set to be a big star. Well, that's, so, that's yay. great. Those I, are, it also those says are something that we literally could not stories. think of too many good yeah. stories. Well, the I, I think of one which, it, which the BJ was part of, but... Getting uh, the the city council chambers open back up to just common people to show up and protest. The mayor briefly thought about pushing people up to the third floor gallery, which was enclosed in glass and it's hot and stinky. And now people can go back to the second (laughs) floor gallery. And on that note, that's it for the weekly news recap. My thanks to WTTW's Amanda Vinicky, David Grising of the Better Government Association, and John Seidel of the Chicago Sun-Times. 
No news recap next Friday, but tune in to hear an encore of great reset conversations with some of the biggest game changers and rising stars of Chicago's music scene. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Happy New Year. That's Happy it for New Reset. Year. The Happy show baby. is produced by Meha Ahmed, Linnea Dominic, Brenda Ruiz, Micah Yason, Claire Hyman, Andrea Guthman, Landon Jones, and Max Lubers. Dan Tucker's our executive producer. Ethan Schwab and Haley Bloomquist were our engineers this week. 